evidence and answers. Muhammad claimed to be a prophet of God, following in the line of the Old Testament prophets and apostles. Does Muhammad meet the criteria of a biblical prophet? How does his life and teachings compare with the life and ministry of Jesus Christ? Welcome to Evidence and Answers with your host, Dr. Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author, scholar, and teacher of apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat will be presenting part two of his message, Examining Islam's Prophet and Christianity's Savior. This message can also be heard on Pat's website, evidenceandanswers.org. Let's join Pat now with part two of this fascinating study. Second, this is not a miraculous victory, for one would have expected the Romans to bounce back and recapture their lost territory from the Persians. Now you compare this with biblical prophecy, for example, the messianic prophecies of Christ. Jesus has over a hundred prophecies which he fulfilled. And some of them are quite detailed. For example, Micah chapter 5 verse 2 predicted where he would be born. Isaiah 53 predicted the nature of his ministry, which would include miracles, his death, and his resurrection. In fact, in Isaiah 53, that chapter alone, there are nearly a dozen messianic prophecies which Christ fulfilled. In other words, if all we had was Isaiah 53, that's still a miraculous accomplishment by Christ. But we have over a hundred prophecies made of Christ before he ever set foot upon the earth. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel 9 predicts the exact day of his crucifixion. Jesus also made several prophecies himself. In John 4, he predicted his own death and resurrection and even more miraculous he accomplished it in Matthew 24 he predicted the fall of Jerusalem in John 21 he predicted the martyrdom of Peter so there are over a hundred prophecies made of Christ before he set foot upon the earth which he fulfilled and he made several prophecies himself which have come to pass now to qualify as a prophet one must have a record of prophecy and Mohammed has none In contrast, Jesus has a miraculous record of prophecy. Second, the Bible and the Quran state that a prophet is confirmed by miracles. One may come in the nature of supernatural prophecy, the other in physical miracles. And on this, Muhammad fails as well, for he performs no supernatural miracles. Muhammad in the Quran states, that miracles confirm a prophet. The Quran states this in several chapters, in chapter 23, in chapter 7, verses 106 to 119. In fact, it states that Moses did miracles, and in chapter 5 of the Quran, it affirms that Jesus did miracles. And indeed, miracles confirm a prophet of God. Well, when it comes to miracles, Muhammad does not perform any. The only miracle he has that he points to is the Quran, and that's it. Now, some Muslims point to the alleged miracle of mirage mentioned in chapter 17 of the Quran, where Muhammad is alleged to have journeyed into heaven on a donkey. However, even according to early Islamic tradition, Muhammad's wife reported that the apostle's body remained where it was in bed, but his spirit was taken up. So there is no evidence to confirm 
the authenticity of this event. And since it lacks any kind of historical confirmation, really, it has no apologetic value. Muslim scholar and translator of the Quran, Abdullah Yusuf Ali, states that Muhammad did no miracles. Now, Muslims point to miracles appearing in the Hadith, and the Hadith is a book written about 200 years after Muhammad's death. It's a collection of his sayings and stories about his life, but we should consider these mythical in nature, and many of the stories in there, even Islamic scholars, consider legendary. Now, the miracle stories also we may question because it runs contrary to the spirit of the Quran. In chapter 3, verses 181 to 184, where Muhammad is asked to do miracles to show that he is a prophet, Muhammad refused to do miracles when asked. And the vast majority of the stories in the Hadith are rejected as apocryphal, even by Muslim scholars. Second, the stories in the Hadith are recorded one to 200 years after the life of Muhammad, and historians have shown legends begin to appear two to three generations after the death of the eyewitnesses. A. N. Sherwin-White did one of the most detailed studies of this and showed it takes two to three generations for legends to begin to appear in a historical text. Why? Well, the eyewitnesses need to pass from the scene. The eyewitnesses who can verify the accounts as true or false need to pass from the scene. In contrast, to Muhammad who did no miracles. Jesus performs miracles over every realm of creation. Unlike Muhammad, these accounts in the Gospels are first-generation accounts and are not legendary in nature. We have good historical evidence that the Gospels are first-generation accounts written in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. I do not have time to go in to a historical defense of the Gospels, you can read several articles I've written on the historical reliability of the Gospels. These are first generation, many of them eyewitness accounts. Therefore, there are eyewitnesses both hostile to Christ and followers of Christ who can verify these accounts as true or false. If they were false and legendary and made up, the Gospels would not have lasted. Also, there's strong evidence for the greatest of Christ's miracles his death and resurrection from the dead. No one has been able to refute the evidence for the resurrection. Now what is interesting is that even the Quran claims that Christ did miracles. In chapter 5 verse 113, the Quran affirms the virgin birth of Christ in chapter 19 of the Quran and that Christ never died but was raised up to heaven in chapter 4 of the Quran. So even in the Quran, Jesus does greater things than Muhammad. So Muhammad does not qualify as a prophet for he has no prophecies which he fulfilled or which he made and he performs no miracles. Third, Muhammad does not qualify as a prophet because his message clearly contradicts previously inspired scripture. Muhammad rejects and contradicts major teachings of God's revelation, the Bible. Muhammad rejected the Jews and the Christians. When Muhammad first began preaching, he was friendly to the Jews and Christians, hoping to convince them he was a prophet of God. Muhammad even challenged the Jews and Christians to look in their writings for confirmation of his teachings. In chapter 10 of the Quran, Muhammad stated that if you wanted to see if his message was true, that they should read 
their inspired works, the Bible. However, the Jews and Christians rejected his message and he became hostile towards them. He claims to have received a revelation denouncing the Christians and Jews for rejecting his message in chapter 5 of the Quran. In chapter 3 of the Quran, he calls the Jews and Christians perverted transgressors. Muhammad announced in chapter 5 that the Jews and Christians were an accursed people. And according to Bukhari, a man who collected and has the most reliable work of the Hadith, Muhammad's final moments were spent in the arms of his youngest wife Aisha, and his final words were, May Allah curse the Jews and Christians, for they built the places of worship at the graves of the prophets. Another major doctrine that Muhammad rejects is the deity, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Muhammad clearly rejects that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. He states in chapter 19 of the Quran, They say Allah, most gracious, has begotten a son. Indeed, you have put forth a thing most monstrous. At it, the skies are ready to burst, the earth to split asunder, and the mountains to fall down in utter ruin, that they should invoke a son for Allah, most gracious. For it is not consonant with the majesty of Allah, most gracious, that he should beget a son. The idea of God having a son was an abomination to Muhammad, and he clearly rejected the deity of Christ. In chapter 4 of the Quran, he rejects the death and resurrection of Jesus. It is not possible for God to contradict his own word. And yet Muhammad rejects these key doctrines of Christianity. He rejects the nature of Christ and the historical facts of the death and resurrection of Christ. And this should disqualify Muhammad as a prophet and the Quran as being inspired. In contrast... The Bible teaches that God has promised his covenant with the Jews will be fulfilled and that he will not forsake them. God has promised in Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant, that I will bless those who bless you and the land of Canaan, present day Israel. God has promised that one day the Jewish people will dwell there in peace. God has promised in 2 Samuel 7 that a Davidic king, a descendant of King David, will rule an everlasting kingdom. In Jeremiah 31, God promises never to reject Israel. In chapter 31 of Jeremiah, verse 35, the Lord states, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. So God states here in his word that he will not reject the Jews or the people of Israel. He states, as long as we have the moon and the sun and the stars, the people of Israel shall never cease to be a people before me. So God promises to be with the nation of Israel and to be faithful to his covenant. And so Muhammad, rejecting the Jews and calling them a cursed people, someone whom God has rejected, clearly contradicts God's previous revelation. The deity of Christ is taught clearly in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament. John chapter 1 states, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. In Isaiah chapter 9, that famous passage that we often read at Christmas, it states, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Old Testament predicted that the coming Messiah would be human, but also divine. And this was taught throughout the New Testament and is taught throughout the Old Testament. It is something that Mohammed clearly rejects as blasphemy. The death and resurrection of Christ is one of the best attested to ancient historical events. We have the New Testament and nearly a dozen non-Christian sources that affirm the death of Christ. Works such as Tacitus, a Roman historian, Josephus, a Jewish historian, the Jewish Talmud, Julius Africanus, and others affirm the death of Christ and the Gospels and the New Testament affirm the resurrection of Christ. We must ask our Muslim friends on what historical basis did Muhammad reject the death and resurrection of Christ? On what historical basis did he do so? None. Only his own teachings. So Muhammad clearly contradicts previously inspired scripture. Fourth, the moral life of Muhammad disqualifies him from being considered an inspired prophet of God. Muslims claim that after his prophetic calling, Muhammad did not sin again. However, Muhammad is told to confess his sin in chapter 40 of the Quran and in chapter 48. He was ordered to seek forgiveness for his sins. And I think if you study the life of Muhammad, it'll be very difficult to defend the position that he did not sin after his prophetic calling. It is recorded that Muhammad slaughtered thousands in battle. Now, Muslims claim that these were defensive battles, but when you study the history, that's a hard statement to defend. When Muhammad began, he supported his growing army in Medina by raiding trade caravans. We can hardly consider these defensive battles. And then after he captured Mecca, he sent messengers throughout the Arab world saying, convert to Islam or face the sword. And in the infamous raid of Kabar, he attacked an unarmed Jewish farming village. Ibn Ishaq, who wrote the earliest and most authoritative biography of Muhammad, writes this regarding the raid of Kabar. He says, we met the workers of Kabar coming out in the morning with their spades and baskets. This was hardly a defensive battle here. And Ibn Ishaq records that Muhammad killed 90 of the men of Kabar, and I'll talk more about what happened to the leader and his wife. Muhammad also murdered his critics. For example, a female poet named Marwan was infuriated by the murder of a particular man named Afak and wrote verses condemning Muhammad's men. Hearing of her criticism, Muhammad asked, who will rid me of Marwan's daughter? And one of his young men, Al-Khatami, volunteered and killed her and her unborn child that night. Now, Al-Khatami was worried that he had committed a sin, but Muhammad reassured him, saying, two goats won't butt their heads about her. Muslims today take seriously any criticism against Muhammad and often respond as he did to his critics with violence. We can see this in that there's a death 
fatwa, a religious ruling given against Salman Rushdie, the author of the fictional novel The Satanic Verses. In early 2006, riots, many of which were violent, broke out worldwide over Danish cartoons depicting Mohammed. Many who reacted violently believed they responded in a manner exemplifying the prophet's example. Muhammad's relationship with women is also worthy of examination. In the Quran, Muhammad taught that a man can marry up to and only up to four wives. Now, although Muhammad taught only four wives, he had many more, over a dozen. He believes he received a revelation saying he had an exception given to him in chapter 33 of the Quran. And there are several controversial marriages of Muhammad. For example, he married his son-in-law's wife in chapter 33. Another marriage was to the Jewish wife, Sophia, uh, to the Jewish widow, Sophia. Remember, Muhammad attacked the Jewish farming village of Kabar, and Muhammad, seeking treasure, tortured Kenana, the leader of Kabar, by burning coals on his chest all day long. And then he chopped the man's head off, and then Muhammad saw Kenana's wife, Sophia, and saw that she was very beautiful and took him as part of her harem and that night he raped her all night long and added her to his harem. Muhammad's favorite wife was Aisha who he married at six and they consummated their marriage when she was nine. Muslim historians record that Muhammad was not a model husband. Muslim biographer Haeckel writes that the wives of the Prophet went so far as to plot against their husband. He often ignored some of his wives and avoided others on occasion. Indeed, favoritism for some of his wives had created controversy and antagonism among the mothers of believers that Muhammad once thought of divorcing some of them. So on several occasions, Muhammad sought to divorce his wife. In contrast, Jesus was sinless. The Quran states Jesus and Mary were not tainted by sin. The Bible states Jesus had no sin. In chapter 8, verse 46, when Jesus is questioned by his enemies, he looks at them and says, For which sin do you condemn me? And they could not mention any. In fact, before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate looked at the crowd and said, I find this man innocent. And so Jesus lived a sinless, miraculous life. Compare that to Muhammad. And really, there's no comparison there. Finally, Muhammad struggled with demon possession on several occasions. At the age of 40, Muhammad received his first visitation from the angel Gabriel. And according to Ibn Ishaq, remember the oldest and most authoritative biography of Muhammad, the giving and receiving of the revelation was quite violent in nature. Gabriel came to Muhammad and ordered him to read his message, but being illiterate, Muhammad asked Gabriel, what shall I read? It is then Gabriel pressed Muhammad so hard that Muhammad thought he was going to die. Well, Muhammad returned home terrified by this incident and returned home trembling and sought to hide under a blanket. He first thought was that he had come under demonic influence. In fact, he was so troubled, he became suicidal. Ibn Ishaq records that since Muhammad did not want anyone in his tribe to discover that he was possessed, he resolved to go to the top of a mountain and commit suicide. Ibn Ishaq records another incident during Muhammad's childhood when his foster parents Al-Harith and Halima were raising Muhammad. One day, while behind the tents, two men clothed in white threw Muhammad to the ground and opened up his belly and searched through it. His foster father Seeing what was going on, seeing this boy trembling and shaking, thought the boy had suffered a stroke while Halima, 
His foster mother, who had nursed Muhammad from his infancy, believed a demon had possessed him at that time. On a third occasion, and this is after his prophetic call, Muhammad believed he received a revelation allowing Muslims to worship the three gods of the Quraysh clan. However, he later admitted that Satan possessed him when he uttered those verses and he needed to seek forgiveness from Allah. Allah eventually forgave Muhammad but gave him a stern warning as recorded in chapter 17 of the Quran. Also another time after his prophetic calling, Muhammad fell under the spell of a Jewish magician named Labid for one year. In contrast to Muhammad, Jesus demonstrated authority over the spiritual forces, angels and demons. In contrast, biblical prophets and apostles clearly understood their visions were from God rather than Satan or demons. Although they were frightened by their vision of God or the angels before them, they were not violently handled. Instead, they were often given an assuring introduction, such as, do not be afraid, such as when Gabriel appeared to Mary in chapter 1 of Luke, or when Isaiah received his vision of God in chapter 6, or when John receives his great vision in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. When Jesus met demonic forces, the demons were terrified of Jesus. And throughout his ministry, Jesus demonstrated authority over the demonic realm, and the demons were terrified of him. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus defeated Satan and the demonic hosts. Paul states in Colossians chapter 2 that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Compare that to Muhammad who struggled and often came under the influence of demonic forces. Instead of Muhammad, Jesus has the credentials of one who is greater than a prophet. Muhammad cannot be considered a prophet because he does not have the credentials. He has no prophecies of him, nor does he make any. He performs no miracles, and he fails the moral test, and he fell under the influence of demonic spirits. For this reason, Islam is a false religion that has led to the death of millions, but worse, to the eternal death of billions. On the other hand, Jesus fulfills hundreds of prophecies made of him centuries before he sets foot upon the earth. Jesus performed hundreds of miracles over every realm of creation. Jesus Christ defeated sin and death through his resurrection and Jesus lived an unmatched, sinless life. He has shown to be greater than a prophet. He is the divine Son of God, and we must present the truth of Muhammad to Muslims and the truth of Jesus Christ to all Muslims and show them the falsehood of Islam and the wonderful truth of Jesus Christ. If we hope to impact and reach Muslims with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every Christian must be equipped to share truthfully and lovingly about the life of Muhammad and ask them to compare his life with the life of Jesus Christ. And you will soon discover that Christ was more than a prophet. He was indeed the unique, the one and only 
Son of God, who lived a sinless and miraculous life, demonstrating authority over every realm of creation, Christ predicted and accomplished His own resurrection from the dead. He is indeed the divine Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. We must encourage our Muslim friends, and I encourage Muslims everywhere to study the life of Muhammad, study his earliest biographies by Ibn Ishaq and some of the great Muslim scholars, and read portions of the Hadith and compare that to the life of Jesus Christ, and they'll discover that in Christ we have indeed the unique divine Son of God, the Savior of the world, and you can have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a miraculous life, died for your sin, and rose again and makes a relationship with God possible if you would receive Him today. So this is the encouragement we give to all Christians and to Muslims throughout the world. Well, this concludes Pat's message, Examining Islam's Prophet and Christianity's Savior. If you missed any part of this message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org, and you can listen to this message and hundreds of other messages by Pat and his guests. While you're there, check out Pat's new book, Unless I See, Is There Enough Evidence to Believe? In this book, Pat presents the compelling evidence for the Christian faith. This is a great book for every Christian who wants to be an effective witness for Christ in our culture today. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to being with you again next week here on Evidence and Answers. (laughs) 